Hey everybody, welcome to the Fearlessly Authentic Podcast, episodes aimed at presenting truth in a fearlessly authentic way. I'm Jerry, and we're continuing our study in the life of Joseph, and we're talking about a subject today we don't normally think about. It's how to deal with success. We talk about how to deal with struggles and trials all the time, but what happens in our lives when things are going well? Do we forsake the Lord? Let's look at the life of Joseph and see how he handled success when it finally came to his life. Take your Bibles and turn to the book of Genesis, chapter 41. Today I want to talk to you about an idea of handling success. How do we handle success? Because in the story of Joseph, we remember that Joseph was the, or the 11th son born to Jacob. He was a, a, a man who was favored by his father, and, and, and his father gave him this, this coat of many colors, this real cool rainbow-looking jacket, and, and uh, it was long-sleeved, which meant he wasn't a worker bee. His brothers would, got gifts at Christmas time of uh, the cut-sleeve tunics, which meant you're going to work, but their brother Joseph got the long-sleeved coat of many colors, and Jacob loved Joseph more than he loved his other sons. Big, big problem there. Uh, caused a little animosity in which his brothers basically said, we hate him. We hate to hear him speak. The very, if he opens his mouth, I'm going to shut it. That's what they were like. So one day they were out tending to the sheep. Jacob sent Joseph to check on him. And as they saw this Joseph coming, they were in a foul mood. And as they saw him coming, they made a plot. Judah actually led it. That let's kill him and get rid of him. Reuben intercedes and says, don't kill him. Just throw him in the pit. We'll figure out what to do. And Judah comes up with another idea. And he says, why don't we sell him? At least let's get some money for him. We'll sell him, we'll rip up his coat, we'll kill a goat, we'll dip it in blood, we'll tell our father that we found his coat, we have no idea what happened. That's exactly what they did. They sent him to some slave traders who took him down to Egypt. He was put on a block and he was sold as a slave and he was sold to a guy named Potiphar who was the captain of the guard or, or literally the captain of the execution uh, battalion. And uh, so here he is working in Potiphar's house, and he works his way up, loving the, loving, uh, uh, the Lord more than he loved his situation. And, and he works up to be sort of like Potiphar's right-hand man. He is the chief servant in charge of everything. In fact, Potiphar says that one time he says, I don't even know what's in my house except the bread that I eat at my table. There was another person in Potiphar's house that paid attention to Joseph. It was Potiphar's wife, Mrs. Potiphar. Mrs. Potiphar watched him and watched him and watched him and saw him that he wasn't hard to look at and he was pretty, pretty cut. And she said to him very discreetly, why don't you lie with me? Which is very discreet. <laughs> and he said, ma'am, there's two reasons why I can't do that. One, you are Potiphar's wife, not mine. Second of all, I can't do this thing, this great wicked thing and serve my God. I can't do it. Well, she didn't give up. She kept on saying, and she kind of changed. She said, well, don't lie with me. Just sit with me. Don't sit with me. Just spend time with me. Just kind of be around with me. And he kept on saying, no, 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 no. Now, understand that this was something that was, that was absolutely okay in their society. Having affairs was okay. In fact, it was almost expected in the Egyptian society. And wives of very powerful men uh, would have affairs with slaves just as the men would have affairs with others. And it was just one of these things that was accepted. So it wasn't like... This was something that was out of the blue. It was something that was accepted, but he was like, no, I can't do that. Till one day he walked into the house and he didn't hear anything. Nobody was there. All the usual people, all the, the buzz that goes around this busy house was all gone. And he walks to the room and there's Mrs. Potiphar. And she says, come on, guy, I've worked it all out. It is our time. And he's like, no. And so he runs. And as he runs, she grabs his coat and he leaves his coat. And as she gets so humiliated, she screams and says that he raped her and 
when Potiphar comes home, she tells the story, and Potiphar, we think more that he was angry at his wife more than at, at, at uh, Joseph because, you know, if, if he really thought that Joseph did something to his wife, he would have killed him, but he didn't. He put him in his special prison, so he put him in prison. But here's Joseph in prison for something he didn't do. So he's in prison, and he's put in charge of taking care of these special prisoners, and these two guys from Pharaoh's elite court come in, and it's the baker, it's the guy who, the cup bearer, and they, they're in there for whatever reason. We don't even know why they're there, but uh, they're in prison, and they're talking to Joseph, and he says, why are you guys so upset? Why are you so upset? Well, we had a dream. We have no idea what it means. He says, tell me your dream, and my God will interpret it, and he interprets it. He says to one, he says, in three days, you will be restored, the cup bearer, to where you should be. He says, the baker, in three days, you're going to be hanging from a, you're going to have your head removed from your, from your torso. And in three days, that's exactly what happens. And Joseph says then, now when you get to Pharaoh, tell Pharaoh that you had a man there that interpreted your dream and tell him that I'm innocent. Tell him my story. Well, the cup bearer gets back and he's not going to upset Pharaoh with some crazy guy's idea that he's in jail wrongly. Everybody in jail is that. They didn't do it, right? So he forgets about him. Joseph thinks it's, it's going to be soon. I'm going to be released soon. I'm going to release soon. Two years later. Two years. Two years later, Pharaoh has a dream which nobody can interpret. And then the cup bearer remembers that Joseph interpreted his dream. And he goes to Pharaoh and he says, this is what happened to me. I think you should call him. They go and get Joseph. They're going to bring Joseph right to Pharaoh. He stops. He says, no, I, got, I can't go in the presence of the king looking like I'm looking. So he shaves. He gets himself cleaned up, puts a new tunic on, goes in front of Pharaoh and says to Pharaoh, says, no, well, I can't really interpret it, but my God can. Tell me your dream. She tells him his dream. Joseph tells him interpretation. There's going to be a great famine. For seven years, you need to kind of gather up as much as you can and put it away so that in the seven years when there's nothing, you can feed everybody. Pharaoh was so overwhelmed. None of his magicians, none of his astrologers, none of his wise men could interpret it, but Joseph could. And he proclaims Joseph as the man who should be the one to over, oversee this wonderful well, government program. And he not only says you're going to oversee it, but you're going to be the second in command. You're going to be my prime minister. He gives him a robe. He gives him his ring. And he says, only I will be greater than Joseph in all of Egypt. Now, this is his Cinderella moment, folks. Come on. This is the rags to riches story. This is, this is Joseph in all of his glory. All the, all the, the, the pain, the suffering, the mis, misunderstanding, the false accusations, the fact that he's in jail, all of these things have led up to the point where finally, finally, he feels like maybe, maybe this was the purpose of why he was here. Success came to Joseph. But how did he handle it? See, success means different things to different people, doesn't it? You have an idea of what success would be to you. I have an idea of what success might be to me. For some, it's winning the lottery and having all the money that they always dreamed about. Boy, if I could just win that lottery, man, I'll tell you what I could do with it. I'd even give 10% to God, man. Just God, let me do it. I'll give you 20%, God, if you let me win the lottery. People, the people are like, that's, that's success to them. For others, it's moving into a neighbor, new neighborhood. That's that. That wonderful sitcom from the 70s. Well, we're moving on up. You know, we're just going to move up to the, to the east side, to a deluxe apartment in the sky, right? That's, what, that, that's, that's success. We finally arrived. We got out of this, and we're into this, and oh, it's so awesome. That's success. Some people, it's a corner office. Others, it's just an office. It could be that you were promoted to assistant manager, director, or whatever, or even becoming the owner of your own business. Success can... Be for some the ability to be out from their parents' authority. Man, if I could just get out from my parents' authority, it would be success. But for some people, success is finding something to eat today. That's simply success for them. Just finding something to eat today. Regardless of what label 
uh, we label a success, how would you handle success if it came your way? If all the trials and, and tribulation that you're going through and all of a sudden that would all be moved away and you finally got that thing that you thought would be what it takes for you to be declared successful, how would you handle it? What kind of preparation have you done in your life so that success doesn't ruin you? For many of us, when success enters our front door, our faith exits the back door. Isn't that true? When success enters the front door, faith goes right out the back door. We didn't use success to further our missions as disciples of Christ. We used success to further the mission of me, myself, and I. I'm successful now, and I can do what I want. I don't need the Lord. And I want to challenge you in this area of success. Many of you found success, but many of you may have sacrificed your faith to achieve the success or to maintain your success. You found success, but you sacrificed your faith to get it, or you're sacrificing your faith now to maintain it. So I want to talk to you about that. We know about Joseph, this rag-to-riches story. So I want you to see how Joseph handled success by looking at this idea. Success is a tool to demonstrate your faith, not an excuse to deny it. We look here in our text here in, in, in chapter 41, and, and we pick up this story here in verse 41. In verse 41 to verse 44, we see our first thought. It says here, And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand and put it upon Joseph's hand and arrayed him in vestures of fine linen and put a gold chain about his neck. He had a gold chain about his neck. He had gold teeth. I mean, I mean and he made, <laughs> made him to ride in the second chariot, which he had. And they cried before him, Bow the knee! And he made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh. And without thee shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Ah. Just a few hours ago, Joseph was scrubbing the dungeon walls. He was this hairy guy, hair coming all over the place. He had rags on. His hands were, were beat up and his feet were cut. He was weary probably from malnutrition, the darkness of a dungeon. And now he is in the presence of Pharaoh who has just put a ring on his hand, who's just given him a vesture, who's given him a chariot and people in front of his chariot to say, Bow! When he comes by. And not only that, no one will lift their head or their foot without Joseph's permission. That's pretty cool. I mean, that is totally success if you think about it from a worldly standpoint. But here's my thought in this. Here's my thought in this. Here's what I want you to understand. In, in uh, try, trying to figure out how we could handle success is that you need to understand this. Your success may be questioned, though, by others. So where do you get that? Well, I, I get it from a little insight that as I'm looking in this text that I see here, of the viewpoint of the guy who has to now bow to Joseph. The guy's just doing his normal stuff. All of a sudden, here comes this, this chariot procession, and the guys are saying, bow to him, man, bow to him. And they put them, and they bow down, and they look up, and here's this 30-year-old guy who they've never seen before, and now they're bowing to him. Can you imagine what's going through his mind? Same thing they'd be going, I bet he never worked a day in his life, right? I wonder who that guy knew to get that position. Or how about this? How did he get that position? How did he get to be Pharaoh's second in command? He must be related to someone. See, what's going to happen in when you get successful, if God gives success, you're going to be questioned by other people. You're going to be questioned by other people. How do you respond to that? Did that person who had to bow know what Joseph went through, yes or no? No, they didn't. So their normal reaction is going to come up because they don't know the story that went through. Could you imagine uh, uh, how Joseph was thinking when he might have heard some of those things? Who's this guy? How did he get that position? Oh, he, will, you know, he probably never worked a day in his life. And he's thinking, I just came from prison. 
I was in prison for something I didn't do. I was in prison for doing the right thing. I could have done that thing. I could have had the affair. No one would have known, and I'd have, I'd have, I'd have probably enjoyed it, but I didn't do it because my God said no, because it wasn't the right thing to do. They didn't know about all the years that he worked for Potiphar, working his way up the line and doing all these things and maintaining this house. They didn't know, they didn't know that he was sold by his brothers. He was thrown into a pit and left almost for dead, and he was sold to as a slave person and had to, had to be humbled and, and humiliated on the slave block, probably standing there, probably with hardly any clothes on, to be bought like a piece of property. People won't know all the story of your success. They'll just look at your success and they'll criticize you. I think of Truett Cathy, who is the founder, uh, the late founder of Chick-fil-A, and think about everybody looking at Truett Cathy and seeing he was a billionaire. When he died, Chick-fil-A was worth $4 billion and almost totally out of debt. That was his son's Dan's dream for his dad before he passed away, to be out of debt. And so he was $4 billion. So you look at him, and, and, and we, we got to go to Atlanta one time, and we, he wasn't there, but we got to go to his office, and, and uh, it's on the seventh floor of the Chick-fil-A headquarters, and it's, 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 it's built out of the building a little bit into the trees because when Truett was a kid, he never had a tree house, so he wanted his office to be in the trees, and he had a, a patio out there in the trees, so he had like a tree house office. And in there, you saw pictures of him with Ronald Reagan and, 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 and all the presidents and the Bushes and, and all these famous sports people and all just pictures of him there and awards all over the place, you know? And you think about $3 billion, you know, basically if I had $3 billion, I basically do what I want, right? I mean, $3 billion. Think about that, folks. $3 billion. And you look at me and go, oh, it must be good to be a billionaire. It must be cool to be in charge of Chick-fil-A. Oh, I bet you never were. If you, if you ever get to understand the story of True Kathy, he worked hard all of his life, but people don't know that. They don't know that he started off with his mom, just him and his mom, and selling Cokes, coal, selling Cokes for a nickel apiece from a little wagon as he was a young man. And, and, and then he realized that he could sell them for 10 cents a piece if he got some ice. So he, he got some leftover ice from a place, and he put it in his little wagon. He sold cold Cokes. And he realized that he could make a profit on that. They don't know about the dwarf house where he started Chick-fil-A. And in the dwarf house, there he was in, a, in this little place across from a Ford uh, uh, auto, auto producing company there in Atlanta. And he worked seven days a week for a while and, and almost working 24 hours a day sleeping above the restaurant to make this thing work. And finally, he got to the point where he just realized that he needed that day of rest. And so he took Sundays off. And now he's kept that forever. But people look at those people who have success and say, oh, they're, they're lucky. They, they don't understand the hard work it takes to get success. And sometimes when we get successful, the critics come and they don't understand our story and, and we tend to then, then hold our success up over them because they're criticizing us. Joseph never did that. He understood the critics. He understood they didn't understand his story. And sometimes, you know what? People don't understand your story and they don't want to hear your story anyway. But don't allow the critics to ruin what God's done in your life. We'll get so focused on the critic, uh, the critic who criticized our success that we lose everything that it took to get us to the point to be successful in God's eyes. And we jettison our faith and we just we compromise our, 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 our relationship with Christ in order to maintain this faith and to attack the critics. Don't worry about what critics say. Look, everybody is going to have critics. Everybody is going to criticize what you do. This is what you have to realize. It don't matter what they say. You know, sometimes that's hard for you, but it don't matter what they say. When I was in the military, we had this thought. You can say whatever you want. If you don't work for finance and you're not my immediate supervisor, you're just entertainment. If you can't affect my paycheck and you can't affect my promotion, anything you say is just kind of entertainment to me. Well, I'm not, I'm not sure. I wonder what they're saying. I wonder what they're saying about me. Look, they are talking about you. They are. Okay? It's okay. Small people 
talk about other people. Godly people make a difference. Grasp that. Small people sit around and talk about other people. And, he, and here, here, here's, a little, here's a little help for you. The world is full of small people. And, and let's narrow that down. The church is full of small people who may or may not, or well, let's say, they may, they will talk about you. Those are small people. Godly people strive to make a difference. They strive to make a difference. Your success may be questioned by others. Go over to verse 45. Verse 45. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name zaphpath paneah Now, I thought I had a hard last name. Oh, what's your last name, sir? Wilkoyak. Uh, could you spell that for me? Yes, S-M-I-T-H. <laughs> Boy, it doesn't, doesn't sound anything like it's spelled. Nah, it doesn't. Zaphpath paneah and he gave to his wife Asnath, the, the daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. And Joseph went out over all the land of Egypt. And Joseph was 30 years old when he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh and went throughout all the land of Egypt. And in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls. And he gathered up all the food of the seven years which were in the land of Egypt and laid up the food in the cities. The food of the field which was round about every city laid he up in the same. And Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea very much until he left numbering for it. It was without number. First of all, your success is going to be questioned by others. Don't allow the critics to take away what God's done in your life. Secondly, your success cannot change your character. It can't change who you are. What did Joseph get? He got a position, he got a ring, he got a robe, he got a wife, all at 30 years old. All at 30 years of age. What were you doing when you were 30? I don't believe that you were the second in command of a country. I don't believe that when you walked through Walmart, there was guys in front of you saying, bow, bow, bow. <laughs> he, got a, he got a choice wife. Life was good at 30. 30. Boy, couldn't pride sneak into someone's life like that? The, word, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18, that pride goeth before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Proverbs 29, verse 23, it says, A man's pride shall bring him low, but honor shall uphold the humble in spirit. Proverbs 11, verse 2 says, When pride cometh, then cometh shame, but with the lowly is wisdom. In fact, hold your place here in Genesis. Flip over to the book of Psalms. Look at Psalm chapter 10. And would you look at verse 4 with me? The wicked, that, that's interesting, Prideful people are described as wicked. No, I don't like that. I don't like that. You like that? I don't like that. You know why I don't like that? Because sometimes I'm prideful. But I don't feel I'm wicked. Right? Don't we justify that? Ooh, we're good at that. I'm prideful, but I'm not wicked. The Bible says, nah, you're wicked. Well, I'd like to argue with that. Yeah, argue all you want, but you're wicked. The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, through the pride of his countenance, Will not seek after God. Say it with me. Will not seek after God. God is not at all in his thoughts. His ways are always grievous. Thy judgments are far, from, are far above out of his sight. As for all his enemies, he puffeth at them. You know what that means? Any critic? I think you're prideful. But he puffeth at them. He hath said in his heart, I shall not be moved. Isn't that just like a private person? I'm not moving. I'm not moving. You move. For I shall never be in adversity. <laughs> Bad things never happen to me. <laughs> it's coming. His mouth is full of cursing and deceit and fraud. Under his tongue is mischief and vanity. He sitteth in the lurking places of the villages. In the secret places doth he murder the innocent. His eyes are privily set against the poor. 
He lieth in wait secretly as a lion in his den. He lieth in wait to catch the poor. He doth catch the poor when he draweth him into his net. He croucheth and humbleth himself that the poor may fail by his strong ones. He hath said in his heart, God hath forgotten. He hideth his face. He will never see. He says, oh, God don't care what I'm doing. God's not going to see this. What do we see there? We're seeing here that the, what pride does, it changes your character. But in the story of Joseph, in the verses that we just read about Joseph, he did exactly what he told the Pharaoh he was going to do. Pride is one of those things that's very hard to resist, yet Joseph found a way to resist it. I invite you to come back and listen to part two of this message as we continue to learn how Joseph was able to handle success. We thank you for listening today, and if you were encouraged with what you heard, we ask you to share a link to our podcast on your social media to help us to spread the word about what we're trying to do with Fearlessly Authentic. We look forward to seeing you next time on another episode of Fearlessly Authentic.